Our theme this evening is unwavering faith. <laughs> unwavering faith. You might remember that Abraham was a man of faith. He believed God. And we read in Romans that he staggered not at the promises of God. Unwavering faith. Now let me ask you this question. Have you ever doubted the Lord? Sometimes things just don't turn out like we hope for. God just doesn't do it the way we would do it. Even the results Sometimes we feel that we wouldn't say it. We're, we're too, I don't know, we, we never want to accuse God, but sometimes we, I'm afraid we would think, God, why did you do that? Why, why, why did that happen? I must say that my faith was tremendously tried when my wife's mother um, for all intents and purposes lost her ability to think and communicate. Her husband had left her 35 years earlier. She raised two girls for the Lord. Ironically, they both married preachers. Kind of interesting. And then she just went down and down and down and down to the point you'd say, now here's a lady that waited. She waited 35 years when her husband was dying and he wanted to see the two girls. She said, if John asks for me, tell him I will come. 35 years of never seeing him. John never asked. My wife and I and her sister and her husband went to see him and he had made a profession of faith some years earlier but never any evidence that it was real. He put his head and his hands on the couch and wept uncontrollably and said, I've wasted the last 35 years of my life. We told him he didn't have to live like that the rest of his life, but he would not listen. He died not long after that. I was asked to take the funeral and my brother-in-law, we both took it. He had, uh, that is, my wife's uh, father had had um, multiple girlfriends and several marriages during that 35 years. And when we went to the funeral, my wife's mother went to the lady that he was living with at that time and said, thank you for taking care of John when he needed help. And then at the end, she doesn't even know us. She doesn't recognize us. 
say, God, this is not right. Here is a faithful servant who never wavered. And look how this ended up. I must say that there's been a lot of things in my life, my own life personally, that um, I had to deal with, but that was harder, I think, in some ways to deal with that than anything else. It just wasn't right. It just was not right. I remember when she had gotten so bad that she didn't know anything that we said, Lord, why don't you just take her? She can't learn anything. And it was almost like the Lord said, it's not her I'm working on, it's you. It's you. <laughs> Some things just don't seem right, but God has a better plan and a better way. His ways are not always our ways, but his ways are higher. They're better. They are sure. And sometimes you just got to believe God. Sometimes you just have to say, I don't get it. It doesn't seem right. I'm just going to believe God. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, unwavering faith. I'm going to take it from probably a most unusual passage, at least I think it is, because it's been, it was unusual to me until the Lord helped me, I believe, to understand something I never understood before. Perhaps you'll have a different interpretation of this passage or a different application of this passage and that's quite all right I'm not at war with anybody it, it it's a a rather difficult passage I think but let me share with you some thoughts that perhaps you've never considered under this banner of unwavering faith we're going to take it from Mark's account uh, chapter 8 Mark chapter um, I said on, on the Lord's Day that there are some accounts of the footsteps of Jesus that are not recorded in the other Gospels. We talked about his little bypass. It wasn't really a bypass. Uh, it, it was his intended trip to the city of Nain. The only time he would go there, he had a divine appointment with a widow whose son was dead. He wanted to give the boy back to his mom, and he did that that day. Only time he was there, then came Jesus. If you were here, you might remember that message or those thoughts. Now, tonight, I'm going to read in in verse 22, Mark 8 and 22. This is uh, the only record that we have of this, so we can't go to Matthew or Luke and get any more information. It's just here, what we have. <clears throat> it, it's been a bit of an enigma for uh, many people and for myself included. I'm, I'm still not dogmatic that I got it right, but I'm going to share it with you this evening. Watch your Bibles, please, and let me begin reading in Mark chapter 8 and verse 22, and he, that is the Lord Jesus, cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, 
and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Footsteps of Jesus making his way to the ultimate hour, his appointment, the place of Calvary, the cross. But along the way, we have, um, we have scripture that tells us how he occupied himself uh, and the instances in his life, the situations that he, um, that, that he got into with various individuals. This is most unique. I hope you understand that, as they all are. Uh, there's nothing common about the Lord Jesus. So <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to look, first of all, at the place. Then we're going to look at the plea for healing. Then we're going to look at the procedure. And then we're going to look at the prohibition. And we'll uh, address this subject like that, the unwavering faith being our theme. Now, place, Bethsaida. Uh, it means house of fish. It's mentioned seven times in the scriptures. It was the home, that is the hometown, of Philip and Andrew and Peter. It was a small fishing village uh, close to where the Jordan comes in at the top of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we won't take time. We, we encourage you to use your map on Sunday morning, but uh, same map. You go back and look at it sometime. Uh, you'll, you'll see uh, Bethsaida there. Um, now, <clears throat> before we can begin to understand the, the, the text, uh, the broader context would and encourage us to note some important things about this city called Bethsaida. So if you'll hold your hand here, we're not going to turn to all the passages. I'm just going to turn to one. It's in Matthew's account. So just go back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11 for a moment. Matthew chapter 11. I believe just this account will help us to understand what we read uh, in Mark's account of what happened in Bethsaida. I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 16 of Matthew chapter 11. The Lord Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling under their fellows and saying, 
We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not lamented. For John, that would be John the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a devil. The Son of Man, speaking of himself, uh, came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Just pause there for a minute and let me paint that for you. The scene is a no-win situation. That's what the scene is. Maybe you've been in a no-win situation. No matter what you do, it's not the right thing. The Lord Jesus said, John came, and you wouldn't listen to him. I came, and you wouldn't listen to me. Uh, he prefaced those remarks by saying, we've done everything that we could do, and you would not listen. You don't care. You are critical. You accuse. You are not listening. Look in verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein, note this, most of his mighty works were done. Why would he upbraid those cities? Because they repented not. What cities are mentioned? Look in verse 21. Woe unto the Chorazin, woe unto the Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And he goes on to mention Capernaum, sort of his home base, where most of the mighty works are done. And uh, he says it will be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for Capernaum. Now let's go back to our text. What, what is the point? The point is miracle after miracle after miracle, most of his mighty works have been done and one of the cities that he's mentioned is Bethsaida. Now this is gonna help me understand something this is going to help me understand that, and I've got to be careful here, but I'm going to put it like this. Bethsaida has had its hour. They've had their day. You say, well, it's never over till it's over. Yeah. I understand. But let us not think that one day the master of the house shuts the door. One day God says, you don't, you don't want to hear this? You don't want to see this? You don't want to accept this? You're not interested in my miracles and uh, my love and my compassion and my healing and the things that I've done? Then you've had your day. I think it helps me to understand why I took him out of the city. You know what he's going to, what I think he said to them? You come out here with me. They'll just mock us in there. Bethsaida's had it today. What's the warning for us? Be careful 
that we don't appreciate the things of God. Because one day he might just say, I'm not going to show you anymore. I've sent my messengers. I've sent my word. The spirit of God is working on you. And you would not. He may just close the door and walk away. And you have no excuse. Most of his mighty works were done there. Now we do know that it housed Philip and Andrew and Peter. They got out. But the rest of that city got judged. Mrs. Billy Graham, I saw her. She rarely makes a, uh, uh, this is 1971, I should clarify this. 1971 uh, at Campus Crusade for Christ in the lobby of their uh, headquarters at Airhead Springs. I was there in the lobby. We were watching a Billy Graham crusade. She made a statement. She said in 1971, if God does not judge America, he's going to have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to them. Probably there's never been another country on earth. Perhaps now there is because the word of God has gone out into so many countries now. But the, the United States of America has been bar bombarded with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know there's a lot of spooky stuff and, uh, and phony stuff on the airways and radio waves and TV and internet, but there is a lot of truth. And there are a lot of evangelical Christians sharing and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why don't we see more happening? They've turned away. People are turning away. They're turning unto fables. They have itching ears. They're doing their own thing. They don't care anymore. I, 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 I'd get stoned first for being a prophet because it never happened, okay? But I'm going to tell you something. It wouldn't surprise me. God just said, I'm done. Be careful what you hear. And do not respond to. How many times? Most of the mighty works are done here. How many mighty works have we seen? I'm not talking about necessarily this assembly, but evangelical Christianity. What have we seen? We have seen the mighty hand of God move. And I don't know what we're doing with it. You're praying for a revival. Keep praying. Keep praying. The devil wants us to believe that revival could never come. I believe it can, but most people believe it can't. They've, they've sort of taken the position that we're just going to hold the fort till the end, and then Jesus will come, we'll all go to heaven. I'm not sure that's right, folks. I think that's the lie. We don't hold the fort. We got the ball. We got the gospel. We invade enemy territory. That's what we're to do. And the gates of hell won't prevail. That is, when we move into enemy territory, the church wins. They go beyond. But you got to carry the ball. <laughs> you can't make a touchdown unless you carry the ball. And I'm afraid that perhaps we haven't. Um, so anyhow, the place is Bethsaida. Now, let's notice the plea for healing. 
first of all, it was initiated by others. I like that. I think I mentioned this on Sunday as well, but let me show it to you again. I'm back in Mark chapter 8. Notice in verse 22, uh, when he came to Bethsaida, they bring a blind man unto him. This blind man evidently did not initiate it. Um, <clears throat> they, I'm not sure who the they is. Perhaps in the context it might be the disciples. That's all I know. Or it could be some people within that city that would not repent. Whoever they are, they are concerned about the welfare of this person, whether he was a friend or they just showed pity on the blind man, I'm not sure. But it was initiated by others. And again, let me say, if you're not willing to help yourself, thank God if you have a friend that will. If you're not willing to uh, uh, grow in grace and knowledge, if you're not w willing to obey the word of God, if you're not willing to... Um, go ahead in your Christian faith and you're, you're, you're slacking or you're falling back or uh, you're not going like you should, thank God for somebody that will pray for you. Thank God for a friend that will encourage you. Thank God for someone who says, come to prayer meeting tonight. <laughs> well, I don't generally go to prayer meeting. Well, come to prayer meeting anyhow. It'll do you good. It was initiated by others. Number two, they brought him to the right person. And they asked, that is the Lord Jesus, and they asked Jesus to touch him. Do you know, touching is still important. You can talk and talk and talk and say all kinds of things. You walk up to someone that's in need and you put your hand. I'm not talking about a sensual, sexual, immoral, anything. I'm talking about a touch of compassion. Sometimes you just reach out and just take their hand and say, we've been praying for you. And there's something about this touch. There's something about a, a, another individual that, that cares enough and, and they seem to just confirm it somehow when there's that touch, maybe just an arm over your shoulder. Imagine the Lord Jesus touching you. <laughs> I mean, how many times have we heard or sang ourselves that song? He touched me. He touches us in many ways and... Um, I can just say right here in the Gospel of Mark, you don't have to go very far. We won't look at it. Uh, chapter 1, verse 30, Peter's mother-in-law came in. He took her by the hand. Isn't that nice? I like that. He touched her. In, in chapter 1 and verse 41, he touches a leper. That was unheard of. In chapter 5, in verse 41, he took a little girl by the hand and said, Talitha Kumi, arise, little girl, little lamb. And in chapter 7, he takes a dumb man and he touches his ears. <laughs> kind of interesting. The Lord Jesus just doesn't do it the way that we think he will do things. He, he did, uh, in some ways, unusual things. This is certainly no exception here. 
And so uh, they bring him and, and to the right person, and they ask the Lord Jesus to touch him because uh, they knew that the Lord Jesus had touched other people and their lives were changed. I, before I leave that point, not physically, of course, but as his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection um, ever significantly changed your life as he touched you in that way. Sometimes people say, uh, I say to them, when did you get saved? Uh, f uh, 40, no, f f uh, uh, 72 years ago I got saved. Oh, great, wonderful. But they don't know anything about his touch today. That was 72 years ago. Did he touch you today? Is he significant today? Did you walk with him today? Did he take your hand today? And speak to you today through his word? So they brought him to the right person and they asked him to touch him. Now, the procedure. This is where it gets a little bit interesting. The, uh, most, I think anybody or everybody I've read on this, and I tried to read everybody because I know everybody's smarter than me, so I got to think out. They, somebody must know this thing, and everybody says it's a two-stage miracle. Like the procedure was that you had to touch him twice. Why? Why? <laughs> it has never happened before. Is there something so different, so unique about this person? You know? Um, uh, again, in chapter 1, the Lord... It's not because it's too hard. We know that. Chapter 1, he, he deals with unclean spirits. Peter's uh, mother-in-law, all manner of diseases, a leper, chapter 2... Uh, a man comes through the roof, uh, chapter 3, guy with a withered hand. Chapter 4, he calms the storm on Galilee. In chapter 5, he deals with demon possession. Uh, and then later, the woman with the issue of blood. Then Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. He feeds 5,000, chapter 7, the death mute man. And chapter 8, just before this text, it deals with 4,000 and meets those needs like it's miracle after miracle after miracle. And, and all, listen, instantaneous. Now we've got to have two touches. Hmm. Okay, procedure. Let's look at it. Uh, first of all, uh, he takes him by the hand. We, we talked about that. And uh, this is in verse 23. And he led him out of town. Now, I want you to visualize that picture. Whoever they are have brought the man. Now, this man can't see. We, we're told that he's blind. And, and so um, his friends say to Jesus, Jesus, our, our friend can't see. And, and uh, would, you, would, you, would you touch him? And he reaches over and he answers their request. He touches him, takes him by the hand. And he says to him, uh, come with me. And he leads him out of the town. So he takes him off by himself. When he gets him off by himself, he does a most unusual thing. Now, <clears throat> let's think for a minute. I, I'm supposing that his friends have said, um, 
You know, uh, Jesus can heal you. Uh, Jesus can give you your sight. Jesus is a person of compassion. He is your friend. Uh, he's done it for others. He can do it for you. Don't be afraid of Jesus. Just trust him. And so he comes. This is somebody that he can't see. And he comes and Jesus says, come with me. Takes him by the hand. Got the touch. Takes him out. And the first thing he does when he gets him alone is he spits in his face. I think that's rather challenging. Think about it. All you can hear is miracles, 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 miracles. And he takes him out by himself where nobody else can see. And when he had spit on his eyes, you can't spit on eyes, I don't think, uh, without, you know, like he spit on him in the face, on his eyes. He spit in his face. And then he put his hands on him and he says, can you see anything? Let me pause right here and let me tell you where unwavering faith kicks in. See anything? I didn't come out here to get spit on. That's what they do to me back in Bethsaida. I'm just a, I'm just a blind man that sits along the road. I just, I don't have any friends. They treat me like trash. Did you know that most of the time in the scriptures, when the word spit or spitting is used, it is disgusting. It is shameful. It 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 shows disgust. I think I might have told told some of the guys this. On, on this trip, my, my son Mark was with uh, an elder from a, an assembly in Honolulu when he was uh, there uh, at school, and two of his friends, they were on the street in front of Waikiki Beach with a sketchboard and handing out tracks, and, and my son Mark, they rotated, but he happened to be on the sketchboard. And uh, you give about a 10 or 15 minute presentation of the gospel, then they rotate, and other guys hand out tracts, and another guy uh, presents. And he said there was a young couple, and the couple um, looked interested, and, and after Mark made his presentation, he said uh, the girl, the lady, young lady, came forward. He thought she wanted to talk, and, and he went to approach her, and when he did, she said some things that he couldn't repeat, and she spit in his face. Now, Normally, you understand what that means. She was totally disgusted. And she manifested that. She showed that by, by spitting in this person's face. Isaiah 50 puts it like this about the Lord Jesus says, I hid not my face from shame, and spitting. When Mark called me, called me and said, Dad, did you ever, anybody ever spit on you when you were preaching? I said, no. I said, did they spit on you? He said, yeah. And he told me the story. I said, it's okay, son. You're in good company. It's okay. They spit on the Lord, too. 
And he did not hide his face from shame and spitting. Now we've got uh, a scenario here that we're really not getting. We're, we're, I'm laying, I don't know if you're getting it. I'm not getting it very well right here. Uh, we, we've got the Lord Jesus taking this man into seclusion and without saying a word to him. I mean, Jesus is not, in, in our context, this is all we got. He just took the man. The guy said, uh, we brought him. Can you touch him? He grabs him, takes him out of town, leads him out of town without saying anything. He spits in his face. I'm going to tell you that would take a lot of courage, and that would also take a lot of faith not to say, I am out of here. I am leaving. I did not come out here to be spit on. I thought you were going to help me. I thought you were going to heal me. So Jesus spits uh, on his eyes. He puts his hands on him and he says, can you see anything? He says, oh yeah, I can see. Now this is where you're going to have to uh, get with me here for a little bit. <laughs> this is where I think it, the plot thickens. He says, he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking now, that tells me two things. He's not totally blind. And he wasn't totally blind. He knew what a man was, and he knew what a tree was. So he wasn't born blind. He had seen those two images before. I'm going to suggest that the man is not totally blind. He has got blurred vision. And when the Lord Jesus said, can you see anything? I, I, I'm going to paraphrase this answer. Yeah, I can say nothing's changed. In other words, I don't believe this is a two-stage miracle. I believe this was a test of this man's faith. And when this man did not um, uh, deny the Lord, when he did not accuse the Lord, when he... Uh, li listen... Uh, Put it in perspective. Do you remember back in the Old Testament, there was a man, a leper, by the name of Naaman? You remember that story back in Kings 19 or somewhere? Uh, Naaman um, was, was told by a little girl that there was a prophet in Israel that could heal him. And so uh, he gets all of this uh, clothes together and money together and some of his servants, and, and they go and they, they find Elijah. And so he's outside of Elijah's house, and he, and he says <clears throat> uh, to, his, to his servants, uh, tell him that I'm here. Um, tell, tell him that, you know, I, he calls for Elijah. Elijah wouldn't even come out of the house. Just sent a message. Go, go dip seven times in Jordan. Everything will be okay. You know what he said? I thought. I thought. This is not the way that I had it all planned. I thought you would come out, wave your hand over the place, and I'd be healed. You're the prophet, you got the power, you're the miracle, I thought. He, he got angry, and he's about ready to leave, and the servants say, uh, Master, didn't you bring us chariots, all this stuff in it? Wouldn't, wouldn't you have paid? Wouldn't you have given? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you just believe? And they talked him into it. You see, this is, this is where the theme comes in. You and I often think how things ought to be done. 
And we don't understand why things have happened. And, and right away we start saying, well, that's not good and that's not good. And I don't know why God's doing that. And I don't appreciate that. And, and I thought God would do it different. Can you imagine this man thinking he's about to be healed? He has, he has believed the report. He has come with his friends. Uh, the touch of the Lord has taken him out away from everybody else. And, and Jesus spits in his face and says, what do you see? And he says, nothing's changed. Still see the same thing. You can't hardly tell the difference between men and trees. Another reason I don't think he was totally blind is this. Look at it in verse 25. After that, after that, after that encounter, after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him to look up, and he was restored. Not given sight. Not for the first time. I, I, I think he could have cataracts. <laughs> I really, I think there was something like that. He, he had some sort of vision, but he couldn't get it. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. I think it was a one-stage miracle, just like every other miracle. I believe the guy passed the test. I believe he didn't accuse the Lord, even though he got spit on. And he didn't understand it. And I believe that the Lord said to him, you come out here with me, they'll mock us in that city. And after this man is restored, where he could see every man clearly, notice it in verse 26, he sent him away to his house. Most blind people didn't have houses. I don't think you'll find it anywhere else. They don't have houses. Uh, they don't have any way to support themselves. Um, I, I'm just suggesting that this was a unique case, different from someone born blind or someone that had an accident and was blind or something like that, someone who couldn't do. He sent him away to his house. And then look, notice how he ends this whole thing. He said, don't go into the town and don't tell anybody in that town. That sounds awful severe to me in that way. But I believe Bethsaida's had its day. They have had their hour. It's interesting because the demon-possessed man, you remember him? He said, once he got healed, he said, okay, I'm going with you, Lord. Uh, let, let's go. And he said, no, go back to your town and tell what great things God has done for you. Not this guy. Don't. Go back and don't tell anybody in the town. That was the prohibition. Okay, um, lessons to be learned, and then I'll be through. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, um, the, the, the broader context here leads us to the conclusion that the disciples are not getting it. Uh, if, you, if you just go back to chapter 8 and read down through chapter 8, <clears throat> um, right down to uh, verse 21, 
Um, go, back, uh, go back to verse 18. Uh, having eyes you see not, having ears you hear not, and you do not remember. When I broke the five loaves, 5,000, uh, how many uh, baskets full of fragments? They said, well, there was 12. And he said, when, uh, and when seven among 4,000, how many baskets? And they said, seven. In verse 21, and he said unto them, how is it that you don't get it? You're not getting it. You don't have unwavering faith. You're not connecting the dots. I don't do anything wrong. I am in perfect harmony with my Father. I'm doing all things well. I've showed you miracle after miracle after miracle. And then they go to Bethsaida. Who's... Most of the mighty works were done and they get a resident of that town. That resident out of that town had unwavering faith, and that was an example to those disciples. They were not getting it. How many times have we heard, and we don't get it? Unwavering faith. No matter what it looks like or what God does, take Job, for instance. The servants come and they say, fire came from heaven. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. That's what it looked like. Fire came from hell. That's where it came from. But it looked like. And they gave the report. Job said, I don't care what it looks like. I'm trusting God. Remember that the next time it don't look right, would you? <laughs> Remember the next time it seems to you in some sort of a unique and maybe bizarre way that Jesus just spit on you, okay? He does all things well, no matter what it looks like. Keep believing, keep trusting. For without faith, it is impossible <laughs> to please God. Don't you want to please God? You say, well, i got to get my life straightened up here and i got to quit this and quit that and do this and do that and then just believe God. You want to please God? Believe God. Without faith, it's impossible to, believe, to please God. So three questions. Do you see anything? <laughs> Spiritually. What do you see? Are you confused? Is it blurry? Keep believing. I know in my own life, I have failed so many times to believe God. But I know that when I look back, I should have believed God. He makes no mistakes. He does all things well. One day, we will know as we're known. Right now, you know, I mean, how many of us haven't prayed like this? Now, Lord, uh, <clears throat> I need some help. Lead me in a plain path. I mean, just give, give me something. I, 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 I need a sign. I, I need a miracle. I, I, I need something. And Lord, uh, not long ago, I was thinking of that very thing. I don't 
think I put it into words, but in my heart, that's what I was thinking. And the Spirit of God says, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Joe, the just shall live by faith. Unwavering faith. Keep believing. Keep trusting. You got a board full of prayers right there. And a lot of these things don't make sense. They don't make sense. But God makes no mistakes. Keep trusting. Never give up. Always give God the glory. It's been a pleasure to be here with you for a few days. It's always a pleasure to come here. There's always an encouragement here in this place. You will be tried. You will. Keep trusting. Never give up. Let's pray. Father, we just commend this assembly and every family and every individual to you. We commend this situation of all these prayer requests to you. We must admit some of it doesn't seem too good, Lord. We know that everything is not good, but that you can work it for good to them that love you. You are capable of taking a tragedy and making a triumph. You're capable of taking the most difficult situation and strengthening your people. And sometimes it just won't be the way we thought it would be. May we be careful not to say, I thought. But what can the thing form say to the one that formed it? And so we thank you for the privilege of just placing ourselves under the teaching ministry of the very Spirit of God himself. Lord, I admit I may not have all this right, but we know there's some things right about this. Unwavering faith. And I pray that this evening we might all go home and say, many things I don't know, but one thing I will. I'm going to keep believing God no matter what it looks like. So, Lord, by your spirit, just encourage everyone in their own little unique situation themselves where they say, it doesn't seem right to me. I can't figure it out, but I'm just going to believe God. I'm just going to trust. And so help us to see clearly, to exercise faith, to open our eyes for Christ's sake.